It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I met today's guest through the Clubhouse app, which has been a very fascinating platform to connect with people and to hear their stories. And that's probably one of the reasons I keep going back to that app is it's really about connection and fascinating people opening up about their lives and sharing what they're doing personally and professionally. And Owen was in a room about the Free Britney documentary, which had recently come out. I think that was in February. And we're recording this episode in March. He was very kind and saying yes to coming on the show here today to talk about his work, his fascinating career, and how things have shifted over the years for him personally and professionally. So I think a great place to kick it off, Owen, is to hear more about your work and what highlights come up for you. And Jason and I can dive in with some questions based on all the different angles. I'll probably be taking lots of notes over here (laughs) and and trying to figure out how we can summarize all of the fascinating elements of your life. So I'd love to know what part of your life do you want to begin with today? Well, I think we're going to start at current date on Clubhouse, and then I'll give you the background as to how we all ended up here. So Clubhouse has absolutely changed my life in every way. It's insane. The last five weeks, I've done nothing but talk for 20 hours a day about two or three subjects of which I am quote unquote an expert, and everything else is me learning from other people. And the two subjects that I specialize in is paparazzi or international world media and photography. And the other is credit card points and flying for free and all things saving money or not spending money when it comes to travel. And the two were born out of each other. But I should start by saying that right this very second, I'm drinking homemade lemon ginger and honey tea because my throat is hurting so much from talking nonstop for the last five weeks on Clubhouse. So that's kind of the starting point. Is it helping you? Is is the tea making you feel better? Let's find out. Hang on one second. Yeah, that's good. It's a nice little tickle down the back of my throat. And we're keeping this completely PG-13. Okay, so uh, where do we start? I'll, I'll get- <laughs> well, we like hearing um, little uh, home remedies that, that any of us can apply for our lives. And we, we can also totally relate. I got very sucked into Clubhouse probably the first month that I was on there. And I'm currently taking a break because it burns me out a lot. Right, it really does. I shall start by going back to the very beginning and give you a brief understanding of who I am, where I've come from, and how the hell the three of us have ended up in this room or podcast here today. I was born at a young age. (laughs) No, I was born in London, England, to a very, very nice couple called Hazel and Lloyd. Anyway, long story short, by the time I was in my teens, my dad uh, was owning a company called World Entertainment News Network, which at the time was selling a story or two a day to ABC News here in America. I'm now based in Los Angeles, California. 
And they were selling basically gossip stories about celebrities. And ABC asked if they could ramp it up and could it be five stories a day? And five stories became 10 and 10 became 20. And here today, it's now 250 stories a day that the company provides about celebrities to not just ABC, but 3,000 other media outlets. In fact, WENN now represents, I believe, about 60% of all of the entertainment news and photos that you see around the world. My dad, September 11th happened, and I was in between jobs. And I was sitting at home when the Twin Towers hit, watching it live on TV. And obviously, that was probably the biggest change that any of us had happened as a global community until, of course, this pandemic hit. And my dad had to let go of 90% of his staff. I was trained as a professional salesman. And my dad asked me if I would come in for free and help him sell some of the pictures and news that they had. And that was the beginning of what turned out to be a 20-year career in entertainment news and photos. And I realized very early on that the pictures were worth more than the stories. And I realized specifically within the pictures, the red carpet pictures and the paparazzi pictures were worth more. So I was a young bulldog back then. I was 20 years old and I went to war. I was working 20, 21 hours a day, hiring photographers around the world and chasing celebrities. And I was based in London, but we ended up opening up offices all around the world And we had, I think at one point, I had about 1,500 photographers that were working for me, stalking celebrities and getting pictures of them and selling them for astronomical amounts of money. What's the range in which an astronomical amount of money is out of curiosity? Because I think everyone has different uh, ideas of that. Absolutely. So back then, you know, a good set of exclusive pictures of an A-list celebrity that no one else has walking down the street could be worth $20,000, $30,000. And I was able to produce multiples of those in multiple cities every day. So you can get an idea. It was no joke. And that was my life. My life was being on a plane every single day of the week, chasing celebrities, doing deals with celebrities, fighting with celebrities, security, police. It was I was like a crappy James Bond where things did go wrong and I didn't always get laid at the end of the night. So that was kind of the basis of who I was. And for me, it was very normal to wake up on a Monday morning go to the airport, fly to Paris, Amsterdam, New York, Miami, Vegas, wherever it was, rent a car, wait for a celebrity to get off the the plane after me, and then we'd follow them to wherever they're staying. I'd book myself into the six-star resort and shoot pictures of them, you know, by the pool an hour later. That'd be a hundred grand. Thank you very much. Get back on the plane and off I go. That was just my life. And I'm happy to, to go into more detail as and when you have questions, but what that did was it was the basis for who I am now. So what happened was, being on planes every single day of the week, obviously I wanted to be as comfortable as possible. So I learned the art of getting myself upgraded. And back then, it was the the golden era where you could flirt with in-flight staff or people at the desk and get yourself an upgrade. Those days are long gone. Now it's a mathematical game of upgrading using air miles or points or having status and all that type of stuff. And it became a necessity for me to be able to do that. And from sitting in first-class lounges with celebrities at airports, you talk to other frequent flyers and you get their tips. And this one would say, oh, you should get this credit card. And this one would say, oh, you need to transfer your points here. And, you know, all these little tips. 
And it became, it, it started off as a necessity and then it became a hobby. And a hobby became an obsession. And then it got to a day about, must have been about five years ago, where I realized I have no more questions. Everyone is asking me questions. And that was the point where I realized I was at the top of the pile. And I thought, cha-ching, this is how I can spend the rest of my life. I can help other people do what I've done and fly on a bed every single time and for free. And the points partner was born and I've never looked back. Well, that would be the fairy tale ending. Unfortunately, that is not the end. So it was all gravy for about three years. I've been running the points partner. It's been overwhelmingly successful. I love what I do. I can do it from my pajamas in my house. People, my process is super simple. People contact me because they've heard of me on amazing podcasts like this one, or indeed Clubhouse or TV. I do a lot of work for talking head stuff on TV about credit cards and points. Somebody contacts me. I send them a lovely email back that says, send me your credit card statements from the previous month. I'll sit here and do all the math. And then I send them back a summary. And that summary tells them it's a mathematical summary. It's not so much a a personalized from a social perspective. It's math. And the math goes like this. Here is the percentage that you're getting back of your annual spend in benefits, right? And so to to help you understand, the average person in America gets back just under 1% of whatever they spend on their credit card in some form of benefit. And there are three different types of benefit. There are credit card points, there is frequent flyer air miles, and there is cash back. Those are the three different ways that you can get those benefits. So I tell them what percentage they're currently getting back. And then I tell them what percentage it could be if they take my advice and we execute on my plan that I've built for them. So let's pretend an average person is 5%, let's say. Then from there, I tell them what that equates to in points. So for argument's sake, we'll say it's 300,000 credit card points a year. That doesn't mean anything to anyone unless your name's Owen and you have lots of gray hair working all of that out. So I then translate that into what does that mean in dollars in free travel in either business class or coach for the year. So the end result might be, for argument's sake, $30,000 worth of business class travel for the year for free. And at the end of that summary, they have the option to click and book a consultation with me, which takes about an hour to two hours, depending on who, what, where, and when, where I execute on the plan that I've made for them. And that's it. That's kind of the main bulk of my business. I do also help people book flights. I'm kind of like a travel agent if you don't want to pay for your flying. So you can come to me and say, I've got X amount of points or air miles, and the two of us want to go to Paris for the weekend. I will work it all out and off you go. And I charge a small fee for my time for doing that. And that's kind of my my business and my business model and how I do what I do now. Is that a good keeping you up to date on who? I, oh, I should also mention on a personal note, I am a single dad of an eight-year-old daughter. I was married for ooh, six years-ish, I think. And I now have joint custody of my daughter. I get along very well with my ex-wife. In fact, you should probably have my ex-wife on here as well. She's much more interesting than me and much more pleasant to the eye as well. We get along very well and we share our daughter 50% of the time. I am now officially American as of three weeks ago. It only took me 16 years to bother to do the paperwork. So I am a dual citizen. 
both British and American. One other interesting fact can I tell you? I'm in the middle of knocking down my garage or garage, as you would say, to build an ADU, which is going to be a little house at the end of my house that I'm going to rent out to someone. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us back to the pandemic. So at the pandemic, when COVID hit, my calendar completely cleared out. I mean, I went from seeing three clients a day to <laughs> zippo, zilcho, right? Nothing. And it was a tough, tough time. I didn't earn a penny from March of when the pandemic hit through until about November. So it was a long stretch without a penny. And just as I was thinking, flying is never going to come back. Nobody's ever going to want to get new credit cards and fly for free again. Clubhouse came out and I have never in my entire life been as grateful as I am now. I didn't know what I was missing. I've always, you know, I don't do any advertising or marketing. It's all word of mouth. People come to see me, they get to fly for free and, you know, their friends come to see me. Clubhouse came out. I can right now open a room called How to Fly for Free. And 300 people will join me. And of those, you know, 20, 30 people will contact me. And I'm, I'm absolutely slammed again. So I'm very, very grateful for Clubhouse. And indeed, meeting you guys through it also. Wow. I mean, that's especially interesting because, you know, I was really curious, as of course, I'm sure many people are, what it was like for you with this career in travel and how the pandemic affected it. I guess my first question around that is, it sounds to me like you have become very financially savvy all the over the years, which, you know, not many people can attest to just hearing your stories about understanding credit cards. That's certainly an art form for a lack of a better <laughs> term there. Like, I mean, to the average person, they're, they're confusing. I'm, I'm certainly confused by them. I, I barely understand all the APR stuff. And, you know, I don't even really want credit cards, but I've relied on them at times and am currently working my way to paying all down the debt. And it's interesting hearing this, Owen, because it, it gets me to think about, all right, Right now, it's just overwhelming enough to manage the cards, pay them down. And it's like maybe once I have taken care of that, I can finally start to think about things like points because that's something that I've been curious about for for a long time. And it also seems like in 2020 and 2021, for part of it at least, people might have been saving money and had the ability to pay down some cards. And so maybe actually it sets you up for success because perhaps if they have gotten a little bit handle of, of that, they might feel more empowered to travel and more eager to travel. And so there'll be this big burst all of a sudden. But then there's the other side of it where a lot of people struggled financially. I mean, and to your point, going from March to November of a year is a long period of time. So going back to my initial question was, with all your financial savviness, had you did you have a plan, like a saving set up for you so that during that time it wasn't as as challenging? Or did you two kind of find it so unexpected that you weren't set up for it to take that much time off from your work? Yeah. So I should probably give you a bit more background, which is aside from being a professional at sales, I'm an efficiency expert. And efficiency is looking at any process and being able to find the cheapest, quickest way of doing it. So my whole life, I've changed processes in order to make them serve the purpose 
that I require. So my whole life, I've always been good with money, with numbers, scaling things, and squeezing the last cent out of everything. And I guess I didn't realize that this was my perfect life and because I was distracted with A-list celebrities and drugs and sex and violence and money and gambling and flying and all that stuff, right? My life was, was I was a crappy James Bond. You know, every day was on a plane with beautiful women and celebrities. There was money, there was drugs, it was fun. Like it was, it was insane. And at the time, I didn't ever think about tomorrow because I was so busy today. And I just thought it would last forever. And eventually one of my planes would crash or, you know, somebody would shoot me. And it wasn't until there was some disruptive technology in the media world, which essentially was the internet itself. Then it was iPhones and the cameras and then blogs and kind of media evolved and it became too scaled and the quality wasn't there. It became about quantity, not quality. So those same pictures that were worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars are now worth literally two, three dollars. And I saw it coming and I said to my dad, you know, it's time for me to get out. I was making a very, very nice living at the time, but I could see the trajectory of where it was going. It did this for 20 years and I could see it was just going to do that. So I tried to get out as quick as I could, but I was so ingrained in it. It took me years. It took me, I'd say, four or five years to finally pull the trigger and leave and open up the points partner. So with regards to me getting through the pandemic, I'm very blessed that I have a skill set in efficiency. And I've always, you know, owned a home and saved money and I have emergency funds. I wanted to kind of touch on something you mentioned before, which is you find credit card points uh, secondary to paying off your bill to begin with, right? And you don't just have me here because I'm a pretty face. In fact, not even a pretty face. So I'm going to give some value to all of your listeners and indeed the two of you. And I'll try and explain a couple of simple, like super, you know, chuck at you, simple things that people can write down that might help them. So there are two kind of major portions of credit cards. The first one is debt and the other one is benefits. And most people think that all credit cards are created equal. They are not. In fact, there are two types of credit cards. There are traditional credit cards, which are meant for borrowing money when you don't have any. And then there are charge cards. Now, charge cards is looks like a credit card. Most people call it a credit card, but it's very, very different. They are designed to be paid off in full every month. And assuming that you do that, you are rewarded with benefits. And those benefits, as we spoke about earlier, would be credit card points or air miles or cashback. And it's when you misuse a credit card for a charge card or a charge card for a credit card that things start getting ugly. So I obviously specialize on the latter, which is charge cards, which is getting benefits from your credit cards. But this conversation doesn't even start until you're out of debt and you're paying off your bills every month. If you need to borrow money, the last thing you want is another credit card. What you need to do is earn more money and spend less, both of which I can help you with. But that's the kind of the, the prerequisite before getting on beds on planes game, right? And I want to make that very clear for anyone who's listening to this. Do not go out and get credit cards because you heard this guy with a British accent on this podcast. It starts with, are you paying your bills on time? If you are, then 
obviously you can go ahead and start playing the game. And I do offer resources for people that don't want to come and see me and pay me privately also. So on my website, there's a link called Get My New Credit Card. You don't need me. You don't need to pay me. I put it up there for my clients with the best sign-up bonuses of the day. It's updated every single day. So if you are going to go get a credit card and you do want to get more points, you're welcome to go to my website. There's a link there for you to the absolute best deals of the day. And I don't earn any money from it and you don't have to pay me. If you don't know what you're doing, though, at some point you're going to need some information. It is complex and I'm going to give you guys some simple ways of understanding it in just a hot minute. If you're interested in finding out more about the points and credit card game and traveling for free, there are some great resources out there for free. There's a website called The Points Guy. It's like a Wikipedia of everything that I know. I would highly recommend people going to that. What I do is kind of the complete opposite of that. So that's generic information that you can just read for 100 hours and hopefully draw the useful information from it. However, they make their money by selling credit cards or services on the actual website. So you need to kind of read it with a pinch of salt because they're essentially trying to sell you something. Whereas what I do is the polar opposite. I don't get paid by any banks or credit cards. I charge people, but I actually help them as opposed to helping someone else. And that's conceptually the difference. I'm going to give you some super basic ways of understanding how credit cards and points work. The average American gets back just under 1% of whatever they spend on their credit card in benefits. And what I'm able to do is mathematically make them more efficient by using the right credit cards at the right time in the right places to hit these bonus categories that we talk about, right? And those big bonus categories are predominantly supermarkets, coffee houses, bars, restaurants, marketing, travel, and gas. Those are the big ones. If you're spending any money in those places, you are missing out on tons and tons of points. And what do points mean? Prizes. Okay, so that's conceptually what I do. So if somebody's, if the average person's getting back just under 1%, that could be as much as 12% if they know what they're doing. Now, uh, I'm now going to describe in the simplest way, it is complicated, but my job is bringing it down to layman's terms. So, and the way that I do this is I'm going to show you the points partner's pyramid of points, okay? So I want you to imagine a pyramid, okay? And at the very, very top of that pyramid is American Express and their points. They are worth the most. And just below them is Chase and their points. They're worth just a little bit less. And in the middle of the pyramid, you have all the other credit card companies, Capital One, Discover, Citibank, so on and so forth. And at the bottom of the pyramid, you have 170 airlines and about 10 different hotel groups and their frequent flyer air miles or hotel points. And the reason I offer it to you as a pyramid is I want you all to remember this. If you take a handful of sand on your next vacation and you drop it on the floor, gravity will have it fall in kind of a pyramid. And the reason I want you to remember gravity is because points can only go down the pyramid. They can't go up the pyramid. So if you have your points at the top at American Express or Chase, you can send them, you can transfer them 
down into an airline that suits you best on the day that suits you best, or in other words, whoever's doing it the cheapest that day. You cannot do it the other way around. So that's why you'll always hear me talk about credit card points, not air miles. Air miles are, are really only useful to collect if you're a very, very specific type of person. And that person is somebody who works for a large corporation that has to fly the same route week in, week out. Their company is paying for it, and they have to fly on a particular airline. For those people, it makes a lot of sense to have these credit cards that are called co-branded, right? So it's an airline and a credit card that get together, and you get loads of air miles. For those types of people, awesome. For the other 97% of us, it doesn't make sense. It makes much more sense to have credit card points and learn how to transfer them out. Have I put the two of you to sleep? Are you still with me? Can you hear me? And what do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is fascinating. I'm so glad you have a lot of resources and I want to start tuning in on Clubhouse more often because... um, you know, you talk about this all the time, I'm sure, and it's really fascinating. The visualization is is incredibly helpful, especially for the the people that are listening to the audio and not watching the YouTube version of this. You know, what comes up for me is is how it is. It feels complex. You know, like that's the thing that I felt about credit cards. It's like when I first got a credit card, I felt like I really shouldn't be doing this. Like Getting a credit card I thought was a bad thing. And then I spent years relying or not relying on it. But, but you know, when, when things were tough financially, I would use the credit card. And I think a lot of people operate that way and then they get in debt and then they feel completely burdened by it. And I'm currently on a mission to clear my debt. And then, as I said, it it sounds interesting. It's like a new door opens up that maybe I can start to get those benefits from it that you're saying. And and I'm so intrigued, but also incredibly overwhelmed. I love seeing stories of how people use their points to go on like extraordinary vacations, which I know is is a or I imagine is a huge part of of your work, Owen. But I see that and then I immediately think, oh, that just feels like so much work. It's like, do I have to devote my entire life to understanding these things? And if I'm somebody who lives a pretty simple financial life, because I don't like buy a lot of things. I'm not a big Amazon shopper. And But to your point, I do spend probably most of my money on a few big items a year. And then the grocery store is probably where the rest of my money goes. So it sounds to me like for for anyone who can relate, there's an opportunity. Absolutely. So don't be overwhelmed. They offer it to you in simple ways and complex ways. Um, And the easiest way to explain this is there are three different types of ways that you can get on a plane. The first way is you can pay for it. And that's what most people do. That's not my favorite option. I don't like to spend money. I like to make money. So the second option is what they call pay with points. And if you have a credit card that is collecting credit card points, the likelihood is it's with American Express or Chase or possibly Citibank and indeed many others, Capital One. You are collecting points. You are welcome to go on their website or and go to what's called their travel portal. And you can book any plane, any cruise ship, any hotel in the world. It's no different to being on Kayak or Expedia or Google Flights. You can book anything you want. 
and you can pay with your points that you have. It's super simple. It couldn't be any more simple. The problem with it is that they the valuation that they give you of your points is 100 to 1. So what does that mean? It means if you're booking something that costs $1,000, they're going to charge you 100,000 points for, for doing so. And that's where the I wish everyone could see Jason's face right now. His eyes are wide open in shock. Okay, so the the reason that people mainly think there's no value to these points is because they spent years and years collecting them, and then they threw them all away on one flight. And they're like, that wasn't worth my time and effort. How, why is this guy doing this for a living? There's no, there's no value here. And the reason that they don't understand the value is because they don't know about the third option. And the third option if we go back to my triangle, if you all close your eyes and imagine that triangle, and I've got my American Express points at the top, is I can transfer those points out of American Express all the way down into one of 170 airlines and book the cheapest sale price business class award ticket there is. And I'm going to give you an example of all three of those options so you can understand the value difference. I live in Los Angeles, and I've decided that I'm going to fly to Paris to do this podcast with you guys, all right? I want to do it near the Eiffel Tower. So I'm, I want a sale price business class ticket from Los Angeles to Paris and back again. Now, there's three different ways of paying for it. One, I can pay with cash. Two, I can do a pay with points on the credit card company's website. Or three, I can transfer the points out. If I was to buy that ticket, it would cost me $7,000. So that's not going to happen. The second option is I can pay 100 times the cost of the flight in points or as a pay with points. So that would cost me 700,000 points. Okay. The third option is I could transfer them down my pyramid into an appropriate airline, the likely to be Air France. And I might find a sale price business class ticket that would cost me 104,000 points. So the difference between moving the points out and doing it in the American Express portal is seven times the value. So that's using points. That's points going out. And I would be getting seven times the amount that somebody else would. When we talk about points coming in, right? Most people are getting 1% or around 1% back. I'm able to average about 4 or 5%. So I'm getting four times the amount on the way in and seven times the amount on the way out. If you add those together, that's 11 times. And that, my friends, is how I take people from 1% to 11% back of what they spend. Is that clear? Yeah. One hundred percent. And I'm also I'm wide eyed because you're you're opening a whole world, Owen, of I, I wish I had known about you before I got all my credit cards. That's the thought in my head was like when you were talking about American Express and I, I have one of those co-branded Delta cards and I have all these points. Right. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, that works for, you know, three percent of the population. And I'm like, I'm actually not one of those guys that flies for my corporate job and, and goes, you know, to Dallas, back to L.A., back to Dallas. So I have this I have this Amex card. I remember getting it being like, oh, I'm getting a good card. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not getting a good card. So <laughs> I wish I would have had you as my travel Yoda like seven years ago. But here we are. So, You're my Yoda now. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people when they when they start talking to me have the same reaction, which is, oh, 
I've missed out on so much. And the short answer is, yes, you have. But on the upside, you have an opportunity now and you have some more information to do something about it. You know, people are constantly, you know, DMing me off my Instagram and going, I don't understand. How do you always get to fly in business class? I'm like, come see me. I'll tell you how I do it. It's not rocket science. I'm not a magician. I don't have a skill that is so crazy that it's a scam or it's just being efficient. It's once you understand the rules, I don't break any rules. A lot of people use this phrase, I'm a travel hacker. And I hate that phrase because hacking gives the implication that I'm cheating or I'm breaking something or I'm doing something in a gray area. I am none of the above. I call myself a travel efficiency expert. And that's the difference. There's nothing derogatory. You're not screwing anyone over, right? You're not, you know, the airline, people always ask me, oh, do the airlines hate you? Do the credit card companies hate you? No, they love me. Because when people talk to me, they go and sign up for credit cards and they make their money. These are, I'm not breaking anything. I'm simply just using what's available there to you. Uh, Within the rules, nobody's getting hurt. Nobody's getting upset. You just get a bed on a plane instead of paying for a crappy seat at the back. It's that simple. Oh, and I have a question for you. Being an entrepreneur, both in the, the media side and the paparazzi business and, and now with the points partner, you know, one thing that we talk a lot about is, is kind of the, the mental journey of being an entrepreneur. And I, I'm curious in, in two ways. You mentioned being a bulldog, you know, when you got into the business, the media business. And I'm curious, one of two questions wrapped into one. What are some of the skills that in both of those industries you found have translated and been really effective for you? Just really foundational skills as a business person, entrepreneur. And the second thing is, was there at any point during this pandemic where you were like, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to give up and do something else? Like, what was the tenacity that allowed you to weather that point between March and November of 2020 and not throw in the towel completely? So two questions I'm curious Mm -hmm. about. Okay, so I'm going to part answer this in cliches. My first one is I don't negotiate with terrorists. That's a starting point. And what I mean by that is don't talk about things that you don't know about. And if you do know about it, then you know better than the person that you're talking to. I'll equate that or analogize that back to the points partner. I know that I can help people and there is value there. I can help them fly for free. The fact that I couldn't find the right business model for it at first was a hurdle. The fact that there was a world pandemic and nobody could get on a plane was a problem. It's a massive hurdle, but it doesn't change the fundamental fact that I can bring value. And where there is value, it has value financially. So I knew from a fundamental standpoint, all right, yes, this year might not have been the best year to get into a travel business, but at the same time, the long-term effect was there was something there. And it di- I struggled for three years to find the right business model. I tried doing it 20 different ways. I tried doing Zoom calls with hundreds of people. I booked room. I booked conference suites at Hilton Hotels and tried to pack it out like I was um, an inspirational speaker. I tried seeing people one-on-one. I tried recording videos and building a funnel system online. I tried 100 different business models knowing that I didn't know which one was the right one, but I knew eventually one of them would prove to be successful. And the end result is what I've got now works. It will never make me a trillion dollars, but it will allow me to live a very, very nice life for almost next to no stress. 
I used to be very, very stressed out with what I did, flying around the world, fighting with security and police and celebrities and other photographers and members of the public. And now I sit in my pajamas and I talk about credit card points, which I love and I help people. So it's kind of, you know, there are obviously a lot of moral implications being a paparazzi photographer. I do a lot of talking head stuff on TV about that. And I don't try to defend it, but I do try and explain it. And now I find myself in the complete opposite. What I do is so positive. They they always say every company should have a mission statement. Would you like to hear my mission statement? My mission statement is I like to be woken up in the middle of the night with a text message with a picture of you in a bed on a plane saying, thank you, I only paid $100 for this instead of $7,000. That is my mission statement. It puts a smile on my face. I think that's cool. If you can live like an absolute gangster and you don't have gangster money and you didn't hurt anyone, that's a win, right? So that's, that's kind of my mission statement. Going back to the mentality of an entrepreneur, what it takes to be successful, I don't know if I'm qualified enough to answer that, but I'll happily give you my opinion. What's worked for me is the cliche of when you get knocked down, you dust yourself off and get back up again, the opposite of that, right? So that may work for you know Aretha Franklin or whoever it was who sung that one. It doesn't work for me. If I get knocked down, I don't need to dust myself off because I would have already got back up and I'm fighting and I'm going to war. The mentality is pure aggression and focus. And if that doesn't work, I'll find another way of doing it. And if that doesn't work, I'll find another way of doing it. And if I notice that all of these ways aren't working, I'll sit down and stare at a wall, come up with 20 different ways knowing that they're not going to work and already have the next one lined up to try and make it work. It's sheer aggression and drive. You have to believe in yourself, otherwise no one will believe in you. If I come on this and I tell you, well, I think I can help you get a bed on a plane for free, you're like, uh, this guy's. I'm not sure about him. If I'm, if I'm telling you 100% I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, right? So having that you know, confidence, and let's not confuse arrogance with confidence. Arrogance is when you think or you want everyone else to think that you can do something, confidence is knowing that you can and not being shy about it. Scalability is absolutely imperative to every business. And, you know, my business is all about educating people on a subject they know nothing about and they think they don't care about. That's a really hard thing to market because nobody's looking for me. I can't advertise on Facebook or Instagram because people that would be looking for it are not the people I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see people like you two that don't know about it and don't even care about it because you think there's no value. So how do I find those people? And the short answer was, I've always struggled. I work really hard and people tell their friends and there's been referrals that came through. But now Clubhouse is the perfect platform for me because I can go into any room. It doesn't need to be about credit cards, points, or even travel. I can go into any room. For example, we met in a Britney Spears room on Clubhouse. And a few weeks later, I'm now doing your podcast. And there'll be even more people that will be mildly educated on how they can fly for free. And that has been the the most scalable business model. I can go into any I started a room on Clubhouse last night, I swear to you on my mother's life. This is a true story. Last night, I was about to cook dinner, I was making lamb chops and broccoli. And I opened a room called How Should I Cook My Broccoli? And 75 people came in and told me 
how that they would cook my broccoli for dinner. But I reset the room and introduced myself. And I said, I'm just going to reset the room real quick. My name's Owen. For those of you who don't know me, I'm known as the points partner. And what I do is I help people maximize their credit card benefits. And I get them mathematically as many points as I can. And I teach them how to fly for free in business class. And then I just went carried straight back on talking about broccoli, right? And I got 25 people that followed me on Instagram. Seven of them went on my website and filled out a form. And after this call, doing this with you today, I already have one of them as a client. It is that simple. So I urge everyone who is an entrepreneur who's trying to make it, it's tough. And you better be tough. It's not easy. Your friends, your family will tell you it can't be done. Go get a job. Give up. Go back to school. If you fundamentally believe that what you do brings value, not makes money, if you're trying to make money, in my opinion, you're going to fail. All right. Starting by telling everyone you want their money is not a good place to start. If you think you can help someone with a product or a service, find the right business model. And that might take a long time, depending on how smart you are or the luck or the people that you meet. But I am a huge believer in networking. For every coffee you buy someone, you will learn something, you'll meet someone new, you'll be introduced to someone new. And I get a lot of the time back from my old world in media, I get hundreds of people around the world every month that contact me and ask what it's like to come and live in Los Angeles and make it as an actor or a singer or a dancer or a photographer. And I always tell them one thing, make sure you have a massive coffee budget. Because let me, there is nothing more powerful than saying to someone, let me take you for coffee. It costs you five bucks. And I promise you, they're your new friend by the end of it. And they'll probably introduce you to someone else that will help you along your path for whatever your dream is. So above all else, have a coffee budget and meet people. Clubhouse, I couldn't be a bigger fan. It doesn't even cost me five bucks for a coffee. You can open up a room called How Do I Cook My Broccoli? And you can meet people and you can make money. I love that because uh, (laughs) I feel like with so many people being interested in health, broccoli is like one of those foods that people associate with health. So I wouldn't be surprised if a bunch of clubhouse rooms start off with that title, Owen, and you can take some credit for it. And I also find what's interesting about your coffee budget is didn't you say that coffee shops are a great place to get your credit card now, I, I want to make sure I'm writing using the right terms here, by the way. So when I say get credit card points, is that the right phrase or get get absolutely absolutely getting the cash back? Like what phrase do you use? Yeah. So so, yes, you're absolutely right. Coffee houses are what's called a bonus category. It's a place where you can get more than one point or one percent cash back per dollar that you spend. Right. So the average person in Excellent. America, if they buy a $10 coffee is getting 10 points or, you know, 10 cents back, right? And what I'm able to do is give them the right or recommend them the right credit card for that, where they would be getting four times that amount. So in a way, your advice doubles up because you get the coffee experience that you're encouraging people to do and you're getting the credit card benefits. We're getting somewhere now. Whitney, this is what we call coupon stacking, right? I do a 101 class and then I do a gangster class and I do what's called digital coupon stacking. So I do want, I'm here today, not just to chat to you guys. I want to give your listeners value. So I'm going to throw out a couple of gems for nothing. 
The first gem that I'm going to give you is if you are human and you live in America, the likelihood is that you eat and drink. And the best credit card that everyone who, assuming they have a credit score of above 600, should have is the American Express Gold Card. And I'm now going to tell you everything you're ever going to need to know about this credit card. So grab a pen and paper, and I shall give away some secrets. The bad news is this card hasn't comes with an annual fee, and it's $250. And this is the point where most people go, oh, no, I'm not paying $250 for that credit card. Oh, yes, you are. And let me tell you why. I'm going to get you all that money back and some. So... First of all, if you want to apply for this credit card, you can go on my website. There's a link called Get My Credit Card or Get Your New Credit Card, and you can find it there. It comes in two colors. It comes in a gold and it comes in a rose gold, which is a special edition. I can highly recommend the gold, the rose gold one. It's super cute. Okay, when the card arrives. Rose gold is like my favorite thing right now, so I feel like this is my sign. Right? <laughs> when the card arrives, if you phone the number on the back of the card and ask to speak to card services and ask them to enroll you in the dining program. When you do that, they're going to read you a paragraph you're not signing up for anything. You're not paying anything. They can't charge you anything. It's just terms and conditions. And you'll say, okay, at the end of it. Once you've done that, every month that you spend $10 or more in any of the five following places, you'll get $10 statement credit on your account. Those five places are Grubhub, Seamless, Cheesecake Factory, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, and Shake Shack. In other words, if you buy one meal a month on Grubhub or Seamless, you're getting $10 back every month. There's 12 months a year. We've just got back $120 of our $250 annual fee. The other thing this card comes with is the exact same deal, but you don't need to enroll with Uber. So if you take one car a month or order one meal from Uber Eats a month, you're getting another $120 back a year. That's two times 120. That's $240 of your $250 annual fee that you're getting back. So now this card is costing us $10. I feel much more comfortable with that. I assume you both do as well. So what do we get for our $10? Well, prepare for a serious, serious card you get a whopping four times points in everything edible. And when I say everything edible, I'm talking supermarkets, coffee houses, bars, restaurants, delicatessens, anywhere that is serving food or drink to you, you're going to get four times the points. So that's literally how easy it is, right? Now, I'd obviously go into a lot more detail for my clients, but you don't need that. And I, I do want to bring value here today. So that is an awesome one to do. I do, like I said, on my website, there's a button called Get My New Credit Card. You can find every credit card that you ever hear me talk about on there. And I update them daily with the best sign-up bonuses. Right now, it's at 60,000 points after you spend, I think it's, $3,000 within six months or something like that. It's very achievable. So that the likelihood is by the time this airs, that will change. But if it's anything above 20 or 30,000 points, it's well worth getting that card. 
that's one bit of like hot value that I wanted to bring. There's another one, which I just think is absolutely phenomenal. There's something called shopping portals. And what shopping portals are, are websites or apps where you can tell them where you're about to spend money on your laptop, desktop, or phone. And they will link you straight back to to the site that you came from, but they will monitor what you're spending on that site and they'll sell that information to whoever it is that you're buying from. So it's essentially you're, you're selling your data, but it's data that you were giving to them anyway, so it doesn't make sense. And they give you cash back. And there are hundreds of these things, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. I will give you my top pick for the one that I think is the best and the one that I get the most cash back from on a quarterly basis. It's a company called Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. And anyone is, they, they do a, a referral program. And as long as a friend sends you a link to sign up for it, it's totally free to sign up, doesn't cost anything. And they'll give you $20 just for signing up. So you can make 20 bucks by writing your name and your email address. It's that simple. And then they send you a physical check every three months for all of your cash back. Now, how much cash back do you get? It totally depends on how much you're shopping. But I don't spend an awful lot of money. I'm an efficiency expert by trade, so I really don't spend very much. And I still get about 250 bucks a quarter. So that's a thousand bucks a year they're giving me. It's not insignificant. So I would highly recommend all signing up for Rakuten. You will need a referral link to get that 20 bucks. So please find a friend who's got it, or you can DM me on Instagram at the points partner, and I'll send you a referral link. In fact, by the time this might air, I might put a link on my website with a button that you can click on to sign up. So there's a couple of gems. I want to make sure everyone's getting something out of this. Amazing. Was that useful? Yeah, that's incredibly valuable. Two follow-up questions. One is, I feel like the from my limited perspective, I've never had an American Express card, but it's it's common, I believe, that places don't take it. Is that still true? Because I thought that was like the big drawback to the card. So let me explain how American. You're absolutely right, and you will need what's called or what I call a supporting visa. Right. So the American Express card is going to be up front and stage and center. And then you're going to need a support act in the background, which should be a visa card. And you're welcome. If the majority of where you're spending, it can take American Express. You can just go ahead and use your debit card from your bank for the rest of it because it represents such a small percentage. If a lot of the places that you spend money don't take American Express, then you might want to look for a different visa card that also has some benefits. So a good pairing with the gold card, if you need a supporting visa, would be any one of the low-end Chase cards. And there is a bunch of them. There is the Chase Freedom Unlimited. There is the Chase Freedom Flex. There is the Chase Sapphire Preferred. Those three I would highly recommend as a supporting visa card to your American Express card. But you're absolutely right. And the reason that a lot of places don't take American Express is because the the amount that they charge the merchant is much, much higher. So some stores and restaurants don't want to pay that extra 3% or whatever it is that they charge. So they don't carry it. But that's a good thing because it means that those that extra percentage that they charge the merchant is being given to us, the people in the cool club who have the American Express card. That's why we get more rewards 
with the American Express card. So the aim of the game is to know what you're spending, where you're spending it. Most people in America don't struggle to use an American Express card. When you leave America on your free travel that you'll be doing now, you're going to struggle to use your American Express card as much, which is when that supporting visa comes into play. Wow. I mean, you're just such a wealth of information. And I think it's really fascinating because people are looking for ways to be savvier about money without being overwhelmed. And then there's also the draw of travel. So you really are offering so much value through the work that you're doing. My other question is one place that I have started to learn a lot is on TikTok. And I'm curious, <laughs> I know things are going so well in Clubhouse for you, but I also feel like if you had the spare time to do some content on TikTok, if you're not already, have you explored that platform much? I have. Here's where I stand on social media. And it's different for every person. What I do does not mean that's what everyone else should do. It's what's right for me. I, ha- I think that Instagram is the, the pillar of people valuing you. I think that people want to see pictures of you, have links to your website and your other social media. I think that Instagram is the home. I think that's evolved from Facebook over the years. I I am on Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, and those are kind of my three big ones. And they're all different for different reasons. I mean, I'm also on LinkedIn and all that stuff. I focus very much on Instagram and Clubhouse. And I think that for me, the leader service or the way that I get to meet people and help people and bring value, and I'm going to keep saying value because that's what it comes down to. If you can't bring value and help someone, why are you bothering them to begin with? You're irritating them. It always bothers me when you get stuff in the mail and they're trying to sell you something. Starting by saying you want my money, I'm not interested. You know what you should do? Start by telling me you're going to make me money. That would be helpful. And that's what I do. So I like to meet people. Clubhouse is the easiest way for me to get an audience and to meet people and to bring value. And then from there, the only way that you can link out of there is Twitter or Instagram. I don't do Twitter. And the reason I don't is because I know my skill set. And I'm dyslexic, ironically, for someone who's essentially a mathematician. I excel in math, but I'm terrible at reading and writing, relatively. So I don't do Twitter. So I have people linked to my Instagram. And from my Instagram, they can DM me, they can come to my website, they can knock on my front door, or indeed send a pigeon. So in answer to your specific (laughs) question about TikTok, I've messed around with it. I don't think it's the right platform for me. I think I could probably make it that. I don't have the time. I'm too busy talking on Clubhouse, doing podcasts with beautiful people like the two of you, or indeed seeing clients or booking flights for people. Or I love talking to people, so I allow people to book a call with me. I don't charge them just to hear what they're up to and see if I can bring some quick value. I think if you just help people, the rest comes later. Oh, and I have a question that's sort of a bridge between your previous profession and your current one. And it, it has to do with the nature of marketing, building a personal brand, and also the nature of celebrity and how celebrities are treated. And one of the most fascinating aspects, I think, probably of the last 30 years with the rise of the internet, social media, reality, television, is it seems that in almost every industry now, there are a lot of people, entrepreneurs specifically, that are trying to establish a personal brand, 
not just for credibility, not just for trust and value, but the idea of creating their own sort of microcosm of celebrity in their industry. You know, we have celebrity chefs, we have celebrity real estate people, we have celebrity interior designers, we have celebrity fucking garbage men probably at some point. You know, it's like everything's being celebrified, if you will. And my curiosity is, A, in you building your brand, are there any sort of techniques in terms of creating a buzz around yourself? Do you even want that? And is there any benefit do you see in terms of creating a platform where you are regarded in that way? Is there any value to that in terms of how you build your brand in your business? Yes, is the short answer. So growing up around celebrities, I saw the power of celebrity. And don't be confused with what a celebrity is. A celebrity is just a marketing tool. It's a way of reaching people. What you reach them with is another whole conversation. So there's a massive difference between marketing a person or a brand with a specific purpose in mind and doing it for the sake of doing it and then something will come out of it. And I'll give you an example of both. I try to reach as many people as possible because I want to help them and bring value. And then in turn, they will pay me for my services. Okay. So I have, I'm creating a brand or a, uh, a celebrity, if you want to call it, with a view to it being my business and me making money and helping them in exchange. Kim Kardashian, who I was a huge part of her success in the early days, was the complete opposite. She, she's a visionary. She is an entrepreneur and a very smart woman. She saw that the platform of being a celebrity brought so many people, so many opportunities, something would come out of it that would make her money. She didn't have something in mind to begin with. She just knew that marketing herself as a person or a brand, eventually it, it's like having coffee with 10 million people every time you post a picture on Instagram. And that, for that reason alone, her and Paris Hilton, Nicole Ritchie, Lindsay Lohan, like the list goes on and on, are geniuses. They are marketing geniuses. Because if we backtrack, a, you know, half an hour or so when I was talking about going for a coffee, meet people, network, that's the way you'll eventually find your way. They found a way of scaling that. They can have 10 million coffees a day. So eventually somebody's going to contact them with something that they want to pay them for, Right. And that is, is, is their business model. So it's the same path. One is you know what you want your end result to be. The other is you'll just go down the road and the path will show itself. So that would be my response to that one. And, you know, psychologically, sociologically speaking, I want to get a bit deep for a second. What do you think is the roots of the power of celebrity? Because we almost in some ways treat people with a level of fame and influence, whether that's through the traditional routes, you know, television, movies, music, et cetera. But now we have, you know, social media celebrities. Okay. We give them power, we give them privilege, we give them access. But what is it about human psychology and the way that we interact with each other where we literally elevate certain people, Owen, to godlike status? We deify them. Why do you think we do that as humanity? What do you think is behind that? Jason, great question. And I hope my answer holds up. I spent 20 years watching The Power of Celebrities and what it does to their fans and their followers. And I have two answers. The question is, I'm going to change the question very slightly and add in some extra value, which is I get asked a lot when I'm doing talking head stuff on TV about why celebrities end up killing themselves. And it's the same answer, right? So I'm going to answer this. It's a, it's a two-part answer. The first answer 
is going to be hope. And the second answer is going to be religion. So I'll start with hope. Why do celebrities end up overdosing and killing themselves? And I believe the answer is a lack of hope. You and I, Whitney, you and, and me, Jason, we wake up every day and we hope that tomorrow we can make more money, we can be more successful, we can be healthier, we can, whatever it is that your wishes, hopes and dreams are, we hope because tomorrow could always be brighter, right? When you're given what you've always wanted, which is what every celebrity has, they want to be rich and famous and they're given that, what do you think they hope for? And I'll tell you the answer. It's pretty sad, but the answer is they don't have hope. They are hopeless. And when you are hopeless and you've got too much money and too much time, you will do drugs and you will do things that are bad for you and unfortunately result in the likes of Michael Jackson, Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, so on and so forth. So that would be my answer for that. That's the hope answer. The other answer is religion. If you look back in history, religion is always what tied together people mentally, physically, and the community. Religion keeps you disciplined to make sure you don't go off the rails. And you could always look up to your local you know, priest or rabbi or whichever religion you are. There was somebody locally in your village that you could go to if you felt bad or look up to who helped guide you and keep you disciplined with the rules of that particular religion. And as the world has evolved, we have essentially priests and rabbis uh, who aren't priests and rabbis. We have Kim Kardashian preaching that everyone should get their boobs done and buy her lingerie. And I think that we've become so left-wing and accepting of each other that there's no longer segregation and therefore there's no need to say, I am Jewish, I am Christian, I am Muslim. So religion is on a downturn, which I actually think is a bad thing. And people are not disciplined. And if you're not disciplined and you've got nobody to lead you, you're going to do worse things for your life because you have no discipline. And at the same time, you're going to be letting people follow, letting people lead you in a place that's not good for you. Normally, it's just to sell you something, but it can also be other very concerning things as well. So my two answers are hope and a religion. Interesting, right? Do both of you, does that resonate with either one of you? Absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, for, for us, we're always trying to get to the dynamics, Owen, on this podcast of the why. You know, why do we worship people the way we do? Why do we deify them? Why do we value them in the ways that we do? And I, I thought your answer was very, very wise and very poignant. You mentioned about being sort of hyper-efficient. You didn't use the word ruthlessly efficient, but I, I'm putting that in there. You seem like to be a ruthlessly efficient person. Is there an offshoot of this mentality of efficiency that gets into minimalism in your life? Like, do you not buy that many things? Do you keep a very simple home life? Like, is part of your efficiency, is minimalism tied into that at all? That's a great question. If it's efficient, right? So let's talk about the room that I'm in. I'm currently in my lounge dining room. Behind me, for those of you who are watching, you'll see there's a few simple uh, pictures on the wall of things that I've shot around Hollywood over the years. So how do we decorate a room? Okay, what's an efficient way of decorating a room? Now, if I had such little stuff in the room that it wasn't pleasant, well, that's not efficient because now it's not decorated. It's got sparse things to look at. The, on the other end of the scale, if I buy, go out and buy all the most expensive, gorgeous artwork and couches and the like, that's inefficient because I've spent too much money and now the room looks too full 
and it's not a pleasant place to be. It's cluttered. So it's about finding a healthy balance of efficiency. You know, people always say, in one of the sections that I do in my consultations, I do a section called home efficiency and optimization. And people always assume that's going to be ways that I tell them to not spend money. And the short answer is, yes, I want them to spend less money, but I still want them to have the same experience for whatever it was that they were trying to purchase, be it a product or a service. So I'll give you an example of where you need to find a balance, right? I love lamb chops. Last night I had lamb chops for dinner. I cannot live without lamb chops. I don't care that they're more expensive than chicken. I want a lamb chop, right? So it's not efficient for me to eat chicken instead of lamb because then I'm not getting the experience of the lamb. It's also not efficient for me just to go to my local farmer's market and buy lamb because it will be so expensive that it will represent a too larger percentage of my weekly food shop. So what is efficient? Well, it's efficient to say, okay, there's something that I have to buy because it's important to me. It has value. There we go again. Value, 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 right? It has value to me. So how can I buy this for cheaper? And the answers are, there's 20 different answers. But the first thing that I always look at, especially when it comes to food and things around the house, is scalability. If you buy something in bulk, you'll get a better price. So I buy my lamb chops at Costco because Costco does it at about 40% less than my farmer's market. And Going to Costco is annoying because it's far away. So when I go, I buy seven racks of lamb and I put four of them in or four or five of them in the freezer. I put one of them in the fridge for later on in the week and I leave one out to room temperature for tonight. Okay. If you're doing dry goods, right? Dry goods is such a place that people can save money. All you need to do is go on Amazon or Target and try and buy the biggest goddamn one that you can. And you, it will last forever, but you'll get a much better price. Coffee. Let's talk about coffee. Coffee is a, a, a huge one that I beat people up on. I have an espresso machine at home. Without being arrogant, I can easily go to Starbucks and buy myself a coffee, but I don't because I'm an efficiency expert. It's inefficient for me to pay $6 for a coffee when it only tastes twice as good as one that costs me a hundredth of the cost, right? So I have an espresso machine at home, which is not the cheapest way to make coffee at home, but it's that balance of value, right? I don't want a French press and drive myself crazy. I don't have the time. I want to chuck a pod in and be done with it. So I have an espresso machine, but here's the payoff. I don't buy Nespresso pods. I buy off-brand in bulk from Amazon with my Amazon credit card where I get 5% back. So if you want to buy a single Nespresso pod, it's going to cost you $1 to $1.25 per pod. I pay 21 cents for my pods and I then get 5% back. So that's a good example of finding balance with value in order to spend less money, get more points, but still have a relatively pleasant experience with that particular product or service. Well, I like your approach because you're not you're not encouraging people to be ascetic, like to give up the thing like in order to save money and be efficient, you have to give up the things you enjoy. You're saying we can still have the things we enjoy and love, but we can do it in a much more mindful and efficient way, which I think is good because, you know, in some of the people I've seen out there giving financial advice, they're like, you need to cut this out and cut that out and stop doing this and stop eating that. You're saying, no, enjoy the things you want to enjoy. Just be strategic about it. Absolutely. So here's how you become efficient. And I'm going to use home spend as the basis for this. 
write down everything that you want for the month, right? And the easiest way to do that is to print out last month's statement, debit or credit card, and look at what it was you bought. Chop it all up and put it on a table in front of you and put it in priority order. What's the most important, right? And I'll tell you, I can answer the question for you because I do this for a living. And the answer is a roof over your head. So rent or mortgage will be number one. Then it's going to be your bills. Then it's going to be food. And then everything else, uh, maybe your phone bill, internet bill, etc. And then below that is everything else. So now you know what's most important to you. Attack those big ones first, right? So we'll start with rent, oblique, mortgage. If that represents more than 30% of your income every month, you're living in the wrong place. It should be around 30%. Now, for most people, it's not. It's, it's higher than that. So be aware of that. But in an ideal world, a third, 30 to 35% of what you earn should go on your accommodation. Okay. The next third should be all of your bills and regular payments, phone, gas, electricity, Netflix, internet, etc. And the last third is going to essentially be food and entertainment. So once you know what's important to you, you can prioritize and say, that brings me value, okay? A lot of the time, I look at people's credit card statements, and I attack them. And I say, well, I see that you went to Home Goods four times this month, and you spent $300. What did you buy? Well, I bought this vase, and I bought a picture for the spare room. And, and I'm like, okay, I get that they're useful. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have them. But on a list of like most important things to you, would you rather go out for dinner once a week or would you rather have that vase? Like you have to look at the value that you're getting from each thing and prioritize. And once you know what your priorities are, you can have whatever you want because you're going to get the stuff you care about, not a ton of the stuff you don't care about. All right. Uh, another, fu- I've got hundreds of these little tips. Uh, another one is count the bags. Okay. Count how many bags come in your front door and count how many bags go out your back door, right? Do it for one week. I promise you, Jason, Whitney, promise me you'll do this. It's a great exercise. And here's what you'll find is that you're bringing in five bags a day from either Whole Foods or uh, wherever you go shopping, and you're only chucking out two trash cans out the back. That means your house is slowly filling full of crap, okay? Do not overwhelm your guests in your home by feeling cluttered with all the crap that you have everywhere. Be efficient, right? Just try it for one week. Make sure for every bag that comes in, a bag goes out, and that way your house is not filling up. Then every 10 years, you don't have to take a week off work to clear out your entire house and throw all the crap that you bought and wasted money on out, right? So there's lots of these things. Food shopping is another great one. Food is like the number one place you can either get points or save money if not both at the same time. When you eat or drink anything in your house that you would like to have again, just write it down on, on the fridge or in a, in a note section in your phone. And then when you go shopping, just buy the things that are on your list. Don't walk around and see all the shiny, the shiny things in the store and go, oh, that's interesting. You didn't want it. You don't, you don't need it, right? If you eat something and you finish it, put it on a list, and then once a week, rush to a store and grab those things and get out. Do not be sold by the 10,000 other items that they have. I have an eight-year-old daughter, and I've trained her that when we go into a supermarket, when we get to the front section, I say, what's this section called, Lila? And she says, it's called the impulse purchase section, 
And this is where you definitely don't buy anything. It's all about how you train your brain to understand your life and understand the rules. Okay. You're both laughing. You're, mic- you're, you're, you're muted, so nobody can hear you laughing. They won't know I'm funny unless you unmute. Unfortunately, our, when we laugh, it distorts your audio. So we're, we're doing it so that you get you get a, your prime shine. But we do have YouTube for that reason. So anybody watching us can see our, <laughs> all of our reactions to you. And maybe that'll encourage our audio listeners to go check it out. Because I love what you're saying. And, you know, efficiency is something I... I have mixed feelings on because I'm very drawn to efficiency as well for money's sake, for time's sake, you know, and, and this minimalism mentality. I think sometimes we can overdo it when it comes to efficiency and become so obsessed that we're trying to make everything efficient and then that can burn us out. And so I've been really observing and not try. It, it's almost like you need to be efficient with being efficient, if it makes sense. Like mindful efficiency. You took the words out of my mouth. Is that if if you're so spend so much time being efficient that you don't feel good about it, that's inefficient, right? So don't ever. Don't. I know it's like an ironic statement, but you have to take efficiency for what it is. It's only efficient if it works. If it doesn't work, then that's not efficient. So you describing spending too much time being efficient is inefficient. It, by the sheer nature of it, right? So you always have to look at what you're trying to get out Absolutely. of the situation, right? Time versus money versus value versus happiness. And it's tough to do that, you know, when we're all so busy. You wake up in the morning and you're hungover and the dog's on your face and the kids are screaming and you've got to rush off to work and, you know, life gets in the way. So how do you how do you do something about that? You have to be efficient and say, okay, Saturday morning when I know I have an hour, let me print out my credit card statement and write down what's important to me. And let me make a shopping list for next week. Yeah. Another fun thing I like to do, I'm going to do some more, some more fun stuff in the kitchen because really food is where you can make or break your points and you can make or break your bank, right? Look at what, when you get back from the supermarket, before you put the food in, take everything out the fridge. And why do we do this? Because if you go into a supermarket, they always stack from the back in the fridge section, right? Why do they do that? Because the sell-by date of the stuff at the front is going bad. If you, when you get back home, put all of your groceries at the front of your fridge, you're going to eat those. You're not going to put your hand all the way to the back. So all the stuff that was in the fridge is just going to go bad, and then you've got to throw it out. And don't think that it's inefficient to have to take everything out of the fridge because you're going to have to do that anyway when you go to throw it out. So you may as well get it over and done with. Change it around, put the new stuff at the back, the old stuff at the front, and then you'll eat that before it goes bad, saving you time and money. That's a, a good one. I like that one. Where were you this morning when I needed this advice? Because I, uh, speaking of coffee, <laughs> I, I made myself a coffee and took a sip and I was like, this doesn't taste right. And realized my creamer had gone bad because it was in the back of the fridge and I did not prioritize it before the other creamer that I was too excited. So all of your advice is very helpful for these practical (laughs) ways of life. And gosh, I mean, you've just dropped so much value throughout this. And and it's interesting because I think you're absolutely right. What you were saying about Clubhouse for you, Owen, is is your, a lot of people are drawn into the celebrity conversation. You know, I met you through the free Britney conversation, which I think is, is fascinating. You know, I I'm fascinated by paparazzi. 
I went out to eat the other day for the first time at a restaurant in a while. And one place I've been so fascinated by that I just need to ask you this, Owen, as an aside, because I have been, every time I go by this restaurant, I wonder something like, what is going on here at Craig's restaurant? I've never actually been there, but I've been many times to the Mm -hmm. restaurant across the street, Gracias Madre. And every time Mm -hmm. I go to Gracias Madre, I look across at Craig's and I'm like, what is with the paparazzi there? And why are there always paparazzi at certain restaurants? So I just want to know from a personal level, because this is part of my fascination. Let's let's unpack it. (laughs) Yeah, please. Let's unpack Gracias Madre and Craig's. Gracias Madre, for those of you who don't know, is a vegan or vegetarian restaurant on Melrose here in West Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. And I don't like it because I find, even though it's vegetarian, it's very heavy. I always, I leave there and I feel like I've eaten a truck. Yes, we have to acknowledge that because Jason and I make jokes about it every single time without fail. I leave that restaurant I don't feel great because I'm either really full or the food just, you know, did not agree with me. <laughs> okay. So across the road is Craig's or Craig's or however you guys want to say it here in America. And it is what we call a seen or to be seen place. The idea is if you're in media, if you're in Hollywood, TV, music, film, digital, it is the place that if you're taking someone to show them this town and how it works, it's kind of the new Ivy, right? It used to be the Ivy in the 90s and the noughties. Now it's Craig's. So it's a gathering place for celebrities, agents, writers, and paparazzi to shoot them. It's that simple. So if I'm taking someone out for dinner and I'm trying to impress them with who I know in Hollywood, I'll go to Craig's because everyone else will be there and people will come over to my table and say, hey, how's it going, Owen? It's a seen and be seen place. And as a paparazzi, if you've got nothing better else to do, you go hang out there. There'll be something to shoot by 7 p.m. for sure. On that note, I should also mention the chicken there is particularly phenomenal. They do a buttermilk chicken. So if you do ever go there, that's what you should have. And on top of that, you would want to use your American Express gold or rose gold card to pay for your meal and get four times points. I love I've also because of TikTok saw that the bread was really good there. There's like some garlic. Is it a garlic bread? I don't know. Apparently, that's pretty much like the new everything thing. there. Everything there's amazing. Is excellent. Wow. Yeah. It's also very expensive. Yeah. Well, Jason and I are both vegan and grateful that there are vegan options there, including their ice cream, which they now sell in stores. So yeah, it's it's fascinating to me because living in Los Angeles, you know, celebrity culture is such a huge part of this city. And and I just find that the paparazzi world, I think, has this fascinating element to it. And and one other point that I want to touch on there is Right now with the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry interview on Oprah that just aired as of the time we're recording this, which was early March, you know, paparazzi have been such a big part of the royal story and they're a big part of celebrity culture. And I wonder also if the paparazzi kind of influence social media in a lot of ways, because many of us grew up seeing celebrities just get photographed and get all this attention. And now people are almost becoming their own paparazzis over time. You're mentioning Instagram and the photo has just become so valuable. And yet you were saying too, Owen, that it's not as valuable anymore because of it. So it's like almost like a snake eating its own tail type of thing where 
where people just want to be seen on photos, but the value's gone down because so many people are doing it and we have so much access. So I'm kind of curious about your overall perspective, especially now that you're out of that industry and you can look at it with, with a little less bias than you used to. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start by saying I've shot all the royals. I've done plenty of stuff with them over the years. In fact, my claim to fame is I was the first ever person to get Kate Middleton's address. And I shot her every morning taking out her trash exclusively and made a fortune. And so, and the, the headline was the future queen of England taking out her own trash. So if you're bored, Google those pictures. They're kind of fun. So, yeah, I mean, it's all encompassing. The paparazzi themselves do not determine the rhetoric. We take the pictures. And then the editor or, or journalist for the newspaper, magazine, blog, website, then creates the rhetoric with what they write. And it's all about what you write. You can ask a question in a headline that implies something horrific but doesn't give you any fact. So I'll give you an example. We can say that this interview is Jason and Whitney interviewing Owen Beanie, the points partner. Or we could say, Jason and Whitney, did they have a racist points partner on their podcast? Now, it's not saying I'm racist. It's saying it's a question, but the implication is there. And now you're creating a rhetoric that the points partner is racist, right? Which, of course, I am not. So a great exercise to do is take any article, any newspaper, any magazine, cross out any sentence that has a question mark in it, because it's not giving you any information that's asking a question, but it will make you think differently about the content. The other thing you can do is cross out any sentence that refers to someone without a name. So if they say a source said, or a friend of so-and-so said, you can delete that. It doesn't exist. It's bullshit. Okay. And my gut feeling is by the time you finish crossing out the ones with question marks and the ones that refer to people that don't have names, you're left with the facts and it will represent about 20% of whatever it was that you were reading. And it will be really boring. Somebody walked into a restaurant is what you'll get. So that's a great fun exercise that I always like people to try out. It will change the way you look at what the media and the news that you're being fed is. With regards to the pictures and fame of everyone, it's really, really simple. It's quality versus quantity. Back in the 70s and 80s, 90s even, we had true celebrities or famous people that were famous. Everybody knew them because of their talent. They could sing, they could dance, they could direct, they could create, right? And now it's just everyone is famous. And whoever has the most followers and the most clicks or likes gets the attention of everyone, even though they don't necessarily... Uh, have a talent of singing, dancing, and the like. And there's pros and cons to that. It's mainly cons because, like, if we go back to religion, we've now got 8 billion people on Earth following around imbeciles that shouldn't be followed. So that's the downside. The upside is it's a fair stage, and everyone gets a fair chunk of the marketing audience to do whatever it is that they want to do. You know, without Clubhouse, would I be successful? Yes, I would, because I'd fight to the death, but it would take me a lot longer, right? So there are advantages for the average human to have these stages, these platforms, these social media apps, websites, uh, in order to, to get an audience for whatever it is they're doing. So that would be my response on that one. Yeah, it's phenomenal, Owen. I, I just feel like I have, through this episode, taken more notes than I have on any other episode, which was delightfully unexpected. And I'm going to be going and 
getting myself a damn gold card after this, thanks to your advice. And I feel like you just added so much incredible, as you said, value. It truly, though, you know, from the heart, just coming on, giving people these gold or rose gold nuggets of wisdom and doing it with such a joyful spirit. That's the other thing, too, is is I feel like you, Owen, have a joyful buoyancy about you. There's just a really sweet spirit that you have that it's no wonder people love to work with you because you're not, you're not only bringing value, you're bringing a lot of fun and joyfulness to it. So it's just been a phenomenal, a phenomenal episode with you, my, my friend. And I, I, I definitely am going to stalk you and dig in more of your advice after this so that I can optimize my whole damn travel system and my point system, which I feel now is woefully inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes you, it's kind of ironic. It's like you used to be the stalking of other people, but now you're having people stalk you. Owen. Stalk you. Oh, how the tables have turned. And that's kind of a part of my shtick is that, you know, I spent 20 years badgering celebrities and being negative and stalking people. And now the tables have turned and karma is a bitch. So now I have to be really nice, bring lots of value. Now people stalk me and I actually, you know, help people do something which is super cool. Jason, thank you so much for your kind words. I'm pleased that uh, I come across in the same positive light that I try to. At the end of the day, we all just need to get along, be nice to each other, bring value to each other, help each other and bring us all up, not just one of us. Beautiful words of wisdom. So with that being said, I'm going to shamelessly plug my situation. For those of you who don't know already, I am the points partner. I help people maximize their credit card benefits. I get them as many points as is mathematically possible with a smile on my face and then teach them how to fly for free for life. I do three different things. The first thing that I do is I can help people recommend what credit cards to get. I do not charge for that. I have it on my website already for my clients, and it's my pleasure to share it with people that either can't afford to come and see me or don't want to. The second thing that I do is I do a private consultation for people. My process is super simple. You send me your credit card statements and your credit score, and I do all the math. I do not charge for that. I send back a summary uh, where you can see what it's worth to you and what you get out of it. And if you think it's worthwhile, you can book me for a private Zoom call where I will personally talk you through all of the details to fly for free for life that you will need. That's kind of the fishing rod version. And the fish version is don't do any of that. And when you want to fly on your points, you can come see me and I will charge you to book it all for you. So it's kind of fishing rod or fish, whichever you prefer. And with that being said, I believe we're drawing to a close. Do we have any questions, queries, comments, requests, or revelations that you'd like to share? One last question out of sheer curiosity before we wrap, Owen. Out of all the celebrities you had a chance to work with, who were some of your favorite? Like people that you deeply connected with, people that when you think about them, they bring a warmth to you. Who were some of your favorite people you had a chance to work with over the years? I'm very blessed that I've worked with essentially everyone. I think there's very few people that I haven't either shot or had some form of relationship with. One that was very close to my heart was Amy Winehouse because she not only was British, but actually I grew up with her. She was a friend of my family and she actually worked at our company and I shared a desk with her for many years. She was a journalist for us and I shared a desk with her for many years before she was even famous. And I used to come in every morning and she would have song lyrics 
on my desk. She had the night shift on my desk and I had it during the day. So I would come in and there would be all these like song lyrics and like leftover curry and like whatever she'd been eating in the middle of the night. And I used to get so pissed with her and I used to throw it all in the trash and send her an email. Back then there was no text messages. I used to send her an email, like a shitty email going like, can you stop leaving crap all over my desk? That crap, if I would have kept it, I would probably own most of Hollywood now if I could sell all those lyrics that she used to write about me on my desk and I scrambled them up and threw them away. So, and, you know, obviously by the time she she made it, obviously I did all the pictures of her, you know, walking around in London and all that sort of stuff. So that's one that's close to my heart. But if I'm honest, when we talk about my career, there's so much of it, but the obvious thing that sticks out is the one that changed my life, which is Britney Spears. I came to America the week that Britney Spears' breakdown started, and I was supposed to come for a week with my A-team. And uh, 16 years later, <laughs> I'm still here. I live here now. I'm an American. I've been married. I've bought a house. I've been divorced. I have kids. I've started a new business. I'm not even in paparazzi anymore. But yet, I still get drawn back into the world of Britney. And that's the reason I'm here with you guys today, because I went into a room on Clubhouse talking about the new Britney Spears documentary, which is not as good as the one that I did 15 years ago, called Britney Speared by the Paparazzi. That was fun. Six weeks of cameras in my car chasing her around. That's well worth a watch. So I met Whitney in in a free Britney room. And that's even to this day, everything I do has an undertone and the root of it or the route of it comes from my good friend, Britney Spears. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating how something like that can transform your life and bring it in so many different directions. And I think that's the reason that people like me are fascinated by her. She She's made a, an a, impact on so many people. And, you know, I hope that she continues living a, a long life and doesn't end up in the way that your dear friend Amy did and, and, and some others that had unfortunate ends to their lives because of all these struggles that they've been through. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And it, thank you so much for sharing. And Well, Owen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Indeed. Guys, thank you so much for having me. If you need me, call me. I'm here to, as always, bring value to all of your lovely listeners. If you need me, you know where to find me, thepointspartner.com or indeed uh, my Instagram at The Points Partner. Or if you just want to have a chat with me, come and hang out with me and Whitney on Clubhouse. I am, uh, my handle is at Points Partner. And with that being said, I am going to go and do more efficient things like make my lunch. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking the time. And I know efficiency is so important to you. So being efficient on a podcast, you did a phenomenal job. And I'm just going to end with a new phrase that you might want to try out for your messaging, which is rose gold wisdom. Because if I saw that, Owen, I would click on it in a heartbeat. So love it. We'll see what you do with that. And I can't wait to see what you do next on Clubhouse. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.